Hello, hello, hello. Hope you're well. This is your good friend Chase coming at you live from the Chase Travis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know the show. This is where I sit down with awesome humans. And today's awesome human is Julia Tertian. If you don't know Julia, she is a superstar chef. She's the best-selling cookbook author of a cookbook that I have had for some time called Small Victories, which was, uh, I think, best cookbook named by the New York Times and NPR. And she's on the show today in part because I love food, in part because I'm trying to continue to expand the footprint of how we think of creativity and creativity. Absolutely, you know, making meals is an opportunity. If you don't use that as an opportunity to be creative, then you're missing out. And for those who already do, then you know what a rich and fertile universe this is for cultivating your own creativity. Um, Julia is just is simply an amazing human, and we are talking about her latest book, which is called Simply Julia. It just dropped, um, and she's also got an amazing podcast, but I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later in, in this episode. Uh, the cool thing about our conversation today is not only we talk about recipes, but it's really about the process of creativity. I share some actual hard problems, problems that I have had in the kitchen with respect to my own creativity and with some really, really practical stuff. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, Julie is just an absolute delight. And again, if you're new to Julia's work, this is going to be a huge eye opener. Um, again, in, in this book, uh, I, I can't recommend, I'm a a kind of a cookbook snob. You don't know this, but um, this cookbook, if you are not, if you listen to this episode and you're not convinced to uh, buy her latest one, Simply Julia, then I, I've done a disservice to her work, but I know you will find this very valuable. We talk again about creativity, about barriers. There are barriers that Julia has had put up between her and what she wanted to be and or become in this world. She shares her stories and strategies for blowing through those. And I can't wait for you to Get into this episode, so I'm going to stop talking, get out of the way, and introduce Julia Tertian. This episode of the show is brought to you by Creative Live. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. Bar none, no questions asked, and you're like, wait a minute, isn't, aren't you the founder of that? Indeed, I am, and that is one of the reasons I believe deeply in it, but I will let 10 plus million students speak for me in this endeavor. Uh, this is where Pulitzer Prize winners, it's where the New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best, teach classes in creativity like photography, video, art, design, music and audio, craft, maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of these disciplines. There's health and wellness classes. There, It's the total package for any creator or entrepreneur. And I have to say that I have put my entire lifeblood into this thing, as have the dozens and dozens of people who work there and about a thousand of the world's top creators who teach on this platform. Well, I used to encourage you to buy classes and we would have discounts on those classes, but you know what? This year we are doubling down on subscription. Well, a single class used to be like $99 or $149, and we have now moved to a, a subscription first world where you get all of the content. That's right, tens of thousands of hours of content, thousands of classes, one subscription price and it's a hundred and change over at creativelive.com slash creator pass that is always where the best price on that exists at again creativelive.com slash creator pass to unlock the entire library all right uh, that about wraps it up now let's get back to the show 
Julia, welcome and thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you and about just, you know, all the creativity that goes into this work. And I have no idea what day it is. <laughs> I'm also realizing we're matching, which was not planned. We didn't, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> Well, we have people tuning in from all over the world. Uh, we're already getting, I've got an Italy. Ah, this person is a, they're interested. They're here for the food. Um, we've got a New Jersey, a New York, uh, Southern California. Be more specific. Give me a city. Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm looking for our international Dublin, Ireland. Um, Allie, Wheels and Warriors. Hacken, nice to see some familiar faces in the show, uh, in, in the audience today. And so, Julia, the folks want to know, um, first of all, backstory, because there's a, a great little line in the longer bio and some of the research that I have uh, read about you. And again, we share a bunch of mutual friends. We can talk a little bit about that. But but it says something like you skipped the easy bake oven as a young <laughs> person and went straight to the real thing. So this has been in your uh, soul, it sounds like, for a long time. I'm wondering yeah. if you can take us back. Sure. How, how you got how you got started because so many people they're like wandering in the wilderness right now trying to figure out what they want to do with this one precious yeah. life and hearing origin stories is always a great place to start and it helps orient our audience sure yeah you know i something i admire about the work you do on your show is like sharing all this like very practical stuff that comes with creativity because it can be hard to describe and i wish i had some moment to share with you about you know becoming interested in food, getting involved in the kitchen. But I really don't because I don't remember ever not loving to cook. I mean, <laughs> since I was such a little kid and the easy bake oven thing, I mean, is true. Like I have been in the kitchen, like the adult <laughs> real kitchen since before I can remember. And I think that that is just something I'm very lucky. You know, I, I can't really ascribe that to anything in particular. It's just sort of this innate interest and curiosity and passion. I do think there is something hereditary. My mom's parents, who I never met, ran a bread bakery. Um, I feel like there's something there. On my dad's side of the family, my great-grandfather ran a flour mill. So I feel like there's like gluten in my <laughs> DNA. Gluten yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the strands. Yeah. Right? But <laughs> the I, noodle. Yeah, exactly. Like literally. Um, but I think another thing that really just set me up for the career I have for, you know, living a life that is, I mean, you can see is quite literally surrounded by books is both my parents worked in publishing. So I grew up in a home, specifically the magazine business. So I grew up in a home where I saw my parents, you know, making um, pages with images and words, like assembling them like my parents would I'm not that old but like on the weekends they were cutting things out and pasting them um that's what they continue to do so I've you know I was exposed very early on to printed medium to printed matter you know I saw that these books and stuff that you know I love and that I now make they're not just things that appear like there's people whose jobs it is to make them so yeah I cooked forever and I studied um English as well. And I was an English major in college. And I actually studied poetry, which I'd be happy to talk more about if you'd like, because I think it informs a lot of my cookbook writing. So that's kind of the path. And then I worked with a bunch of people and have gotten to do my own books too. So yeah, just well, one step at a part time. Of the, the poetry, oh, sorry for interrupting you there. There was a little lag. The, um, the poetry part of your backstory, I think is interesting because one of the things that I 
noticed immediately when I got got your book is you know sort of these the inclusion of the personal essays and photos from your life that go beyond just recipes. I know it says like the sub here is 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food, but the, it's the sort of the intertwining of your life, your life story and the personal POV to me, which sucked me in way beyond most of the cookbooks that I'm familiar with. So was that that part of, you know, the part of what makes you different is your background in poetry and, and maybe English literature or, you know, why the decision to include those things? For me, it's just it's made a lot of the difference. Like it sucked me into the book. But what, for what reason did you yeah. did you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, my background in studying poetry and stuff, I don't know if it sets me apart. I mean, I but I know that it helps me. It helps me just look at the world very closely. I think, you know, I don't write poems that much anymore. Every now and then I do, but, you know, I'm not, that is not my career, but it is definitely like an identity I identify with because I think if you are a poet or you're just someone who likes poetry, it just means you're paying attention to details and you're kind of like looking at things in that way. And that's very much what I do as a cookbook author. And in terms of incorporating all the personal writing that's in this book, I mean, this is definitely my most personal book yet. And for me, that's what I love most about my favorite cookbooks. There is like such a clear voice. You do feel like that person is with you in the kitchen. And it's why I have been interested in food my whole life and continue to be interested in it. It's, I love food. I love to cook. I'm happy to talk about like whatever recipe you want, but it's, it's not about the food. I mean, it is, but it's not, it's about all the stories that come with it. It's all the feelings that come with cooking and eating all the interactions I've had with people, you know, over meals and in the kitchen. It's the stories that matter to me just as much, if not more than the food, just as much. They're both important. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's necessary, but sufficient. You couldn't have a cookbook with that food. But to me, it's the, the part of the, the sufficient, like what makes this, uh, this, especially this recent book, so special is the, the interconnectedness. And it's sort of like food, the way that we talk about creativity on this show is not just art, you know, creativity with the capital C. If you, if you widen the aperture of what, uh, what creating does, whether it's building a business or painting or co-creating this conversation right now if you just think of it with capital c i think you've done the same with capital f food like it's a mechanism around you know around convening people it's uh uh cultural connections and those are so many things that i will want to get to but before we do you you said a couple things in your early your description of your early life and you started in a, in a grown-up's kitchen uh the easy bake stuff and there are people right now, and I'll just refer to some of them. There's Charlene and Soul and Hawken and Allie and Susan and Wheels and Warriors and Allie. That if I know our listeners and watchers, they probably didn't have this sort of what seemed to be like a free and open and encouraging household, which, yeah. which you know, to, to, to be brought up in where that was steering you to pursue your dreams. Now, I could also be um, mistakenly overlaying what I heard onto your actual life, and maybe there's a gap between what I'm describing and what wasn't. But if you felt it from your earliest time that it was in, in your bones, was that part of the family? And if so, fantastic. But what advice would you give someone 
is who didn't have that and is trying to pull on the threads and and understand a little bit about how they want to spend at least the working part of this one precious life they have. Do you, do you have any advice for those listening and watching? Yeah, no, and I appreciate the, um, I don't know, sensitivity you're expressing in this question too. And, you know, I, I'll say that I, I have felt and continue to feel so supported in my life by my family, by my friends who I consider my family. Like that has been a through line in my life and I understand what a privilege that is and how much I wish it wasn't a privilege. Like I wish that was just a given. So I just, you know, I appreciate how you said that. And yeah, for anyone who has any creative interest, any particular passion, whether it's food or whatever, music, painting, talking to people, like conversation. um, Yeah, if you if that wasn't clear to you early on, or maybe it has been, but you haven't gotten that support, you know, if there is some roadblock there of any kind, I mean, that's hard. And I think just acknowledging that that's hard is, you know, step one. And for me, something I think about a lot, I actually have it like written down. <laughs> My desk Ooh. is right there. You can't see it. Ooh, I, I'm me. surrounded by notes. And something I wrote down for myself that I look at every single day is, I don't know, I don't know if someone said this to me or I thought of it, but the long game is the short game just over and over. And I, what I mean by that is like, all we have is our day-to-day life. And I think often, I don't know, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this, but I just think creativity gets romanticized so much. You know, if I'm talking about food, it's like, oh my God, this beautifully laid table and the organic artisanal, you know, authentic chicken, you know, and on and on. And um, I dug these carrots myself and all of the stuff. And I mean, that's wonderful. Like I'm all for it, but it becomes in a way like the idea of the thing and not the thing itself. And I just feel like the more, I don't know, aspirational creativity seems the more romanticized it seems like the further we get from just the day-to-day making of things and thinking about things I think we forget that we're making decisions about how we're spending our life and so you know I just really you know if you're not getting the support you need I think figuring out if it's I guess worth it (laughs) like are you doing something that you are you enjoying it like is the price of making some wonderful creative thing, is it causing you to lose sleep or to be, you know, more stressed or, you know, these kinds of things. And I think figuring out how to make these things work in your day-to-day life and just really assessing what is most valuable to you. And, you know, for some people that is includes spending a lot of time on social media and engaging, and that can be really fun and positive. And for some people that's a terrible thing. (laughs) Like, you know, so I think just checking in. Yeah. I think checking in with like, okay, I have this big idea, this big creative idea, but like, what does it mean on a day-to-day level? And maybe for me, that's because I write recipes for a living. Like I love breaking things down to the elements and just like, how do we make the thing? Like not just the idea. So yeah, that's something I just think about a lot. I don't know if that totally answers. Oh, but that, no, that's, there's so much wisdom in there. I, I remember uh, when you were talking, I, it conjured up a video I made one time after having you know, done a, a live call for the podcast. Someone was talking about how, you know, they have all the stuff. They've got the, you know, the latest camera and they've got a script. And, you know, they've like, they've, they've basically stacked all the things to do the stuff around themselves, but they haven't actually taken the step to the doing part. And 
you talked about romanticizing it and that while that is nice to conjure up these emotions and well-being feelings of well-being but if you don't actually like the process and i i think i used an example of you know if uh, you you've got the cigarette and the beret and you're doing all the things and you're studying the films and if you're not actually making a film then what you really love is the idea of the thing rather yeah. than the thing and, yeah and to truly fall in love and to truly be able to express your heart what you you need is to love the process and if you just think of what you just described like i love the process of breaking things down and what are the simple ingredients and what are building blocks uh, so i think in a way that that is absolutely fantastic advice that you've given is you know for the folks that that are wondering like what do you actually love spending your time with and then there's one other thing i want to poke at which you talked about people having people around you who support your ideas and so how active did you have to be in whether curating is a too a little bit of a snobby word but in like deciding who you're going to hang out with and who you know did you have people that were not supportive along the way and how, how were you able to navigate away from them? And, and if we think about it in the positive sense, are you able to gravitate towards people that yeah. supported your ideas and lifted you up and said, yeah. said no, you know, actually being a chef is a, could be an amazing way to you know, live your life and express yourself. You'll be, go for it. Yeah. That's such an interesting question. I think, I don't know. I think my answer to that question just has evolved and con continues to evolve. And I mean, as a young person, I don't know if I realized maybe how much agency I had in <laughs> picking and choosing who was around me. And I think I had a lot less agency. Um, but I do think, I don't know, when I think back to my like young self and middle school and high school and stuff, like I, I was always a person who I feel, I went to a very small school too. So this might, you know, be part of it, but I just, I feel like I was very friendly with everyone, but I wasn't particularly close to anyone. Like it took me, a while to find like I would say my people and by that I mean the people that I feel like I could be my full self around but that's not a dig at anyone I went to like high school with I think that I didn't know my full self at that point I don't know who does and it took me it took me time to get to know me which is something I continue to do every day and the more I get to know myself and be open to how complicated and messy <laughs> that person is. Um, the more I find myself drawn to other people who are unafraid to be honest and open. And I, I enjoy that. And I find a lot of support in that, not like direct support, like not like, I don't know, my parents are helping me put together like Ikea furniture support or like picking me up <laughs> at the airport. Like that's wonderful. But like the kind of support I feel when I, um, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a different topic, but it's coming up for me as we're talking about this. But I think a lot of what I attempted to do in this book, you know, you were showing the subtitle of the book. It's very surreal to see you holding the book. Like it's, it's so new, right? Like I'm used to just like, it's on my computer and now it's like, we're holding it. <laughs> like this moment just does not get old, no matter how many books you work on. And I think something I tried to do in this book, it is a book of healthy comfort food. And I really tried to take a very wide, a very generous definition of those words. You know, this is a healthy book that has nothing to do with weight loss. And we can get more into that if you want. But for me, I, I, you know, I grew up in the magazine business, which is to say I grew up very much in diet culture. And that's something I've had a really hard time with. Be happy to talk about it more. But in me pushing against that and just detangling that for myself, 
I have a, a really helpful thing, which I think is applicable to any shift or change you're going through, career change or just you know mindset change or value change is changing what you consume in all forms, like not just food, but like the podcast I listen to, books I read. And I find support in those people, whether I know them or not, you know, a lot of them, like changing who's like literally in your ear, like on your headphones. And for me, shifting out of diet culture has very much been, it feels to me like learning a new language. Like I was brought up speaking this language of of like, the best thing you could possibly be is thin, the worst thing you could possibly is be is fat. That was like the language, the vocabulary. And now I feel like I'm learning this new language. And I think like learning any language, like the best thing is to immerse yourself in it. (laughs) And so, you know, I just yesterday on like my Instagram, I shared a bunch of these resources, books and podcasts and stuff that have been really helpful for me. Because I think, yeah, I love the logistics of like, how do you find resources, but also within those resources is support. Like that's what resources are. It's support. It's like the scaffolding. Oh, that is amazing. And I appreciate you sharing. I want to go a little bit deeper on that. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Yeah. These are ways in which your, and and again, the folks who are listening and watching, you can easily lift and stamp this onto your own life. What I hear you say is like, that was a part of what you were, you know, the culture that you were raised in and now bringing that new vocabulary, this desire to be around it, like bringing that to food is actually your innovation. That is, you know, that is a lens that you have that unique experience. And when I was saying earlier, like the personal essays and all of the, like that yeah. has made this cookbook different for me than the other 40 that I have, you know, above our, above our kitchen. So to anyone listening or watching, like that is such sound advice. Like what are, what's the thing that you, you know, that whether you think of this as a win or a loss or you're, it's a bag of bricks or it's, you know, the fuel for your fire, you're carrying this with you and you might as well, you know, double down on it. I, I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but how does that feel when I say it? Yeah. Oh, it totally lands. Um, and I would say, I think I'm, I'm thinking about two things. One is, so I've had the, I would say pretty like unusual, not unheard of, but unusual experience of having both authored my own cookbooks, like a you know, a few of them. And I've also collaborated with a ton of other people on their cookbooks. So I've been, you know, a co-author and a project manager and all these different things. Um, so I have just helped put a lot of books into the world, not all of them mine. And the advice that I, you know, if anyone asks me about the cookbook process or anyone I'm working with, if we're talking about it, I give the same advice everywhere. And it's the advice I try to follow myself, which is, to only write the book that only you can write. And so for me, like Simply Julia is only a book that I only could have written because it is so personal and it does take years of my both passion for cooking, my love of it, the calm and confidence I feel when I'm cooking. You know, I try to give that to my readers. I want you to, I just feel like the world is really stressful and like you shouldn't feel stressed out in your kitchen. That's basically like my goal. Um, But it also comes with my years of just experience of being a daily home cook and my years of experience of someone who's had like a difficult relationship with my body and just being honest about it in a healthy cookbook. So all of that is particular to me, but I'm not alone in any of that. So I think that is big. And so that's one thing I'm thinking about when you bring that up. And the other thing is, I don't know, I'm really... I'm just kind of having a moment here because I don't know if we had this conversation a year ago or something, let alone longer than that, like, I don't think I could sit here 
as calmly as I am right now. Like my heart rate is not elevated. Like I feel very relaxed, very comfortable. I mean, you make, you make me feel comfortable and safe, but also like I've worked through a lot of this stuff and I, for so long, this conversation would have, I would have been sweating. I would have been nervous. I would have maybe said like, maybe we shouldn't have this conversation. Like it was something I felt like so much vulnerability around like a lot of shame and guilt and all those kinds of things. And I think, you know, I think about that um, acceptance speech that Lena Waithe gave for, I can't remember what um, award it was, yeah. the, um, whatever, she should win all the awards. But when, you know, she said that, you know, the things that make us feel othered are like our superpowers. Like I really identify with that. And I get that from the perspective of, you know, I'm an openly gay woman. I write a ton about my wife Um that's really important to me, but also like sharing the stuff about my body and body image and stuff. Like I felt so alone in it. I felt so like, it's not something I could talk about. And I've really, you know, the book has only just come out and I already feel this deep sense of connection with so many readers that isn't about the food, but I also think the food is the way in, you know, I didn't write a memoir about body image, which there's nothing wrong with that. I've been so moved by like Roxanne Gay's book, Hunger Changed My Life, like along with so many other people. It's, I just think there's, I just think we need these messages everywhere. You know, diet culture is everywhere. Fat phobia is everywhere. Like we need to push against it in so many different places. And I think cookbooks are welcomed in people's homes and lives in a way other types of media aren't. And I mean, one joke I make a lot, I don't know if it's funny, but I just always feel like, well, a cookbook is like, it's one of the only books you can read and you know it's going to end well. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one's going to get hurt. <laughs> um, so I just think weaving these messages in, like I'm a big fan of like Trojan horsing a lot of stuff through cookbooks. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah those are just some thoughts that came from what you just said. So. Uh, no, that's, thank you so much again. And, and you said something, I'll grab the James Joyce quote that rang, which is like in the particular lies the universal, you know, it's like this, this, the thought that you are alone in anything is, is that is a reason to share it. And once you do, the, the, I think this is a recurring theme for the show. You talked about it. I've experienced it. As soon as you share what feels like the most vulnerable aspect, that is a, a way to capture or reclaim some personal power because you realize that you're not alone. And whether you're reclaiming personal power just to feel good about yourself or to advance your, your vision or mission for your life, or like it's, that is, there's a connectedness and whether we like it or not, we're social animals, right? And so finding our path in this world and, and doing it through vulnerability and authenticity, bringing all of those things, those stories that we have about our lives, true and false along with us for the ride is actually the ticket. Uh, as you talked about um, having experienced that with, with your, um, your work. Uh, that makes me want to talk about uh, equity at the table. Sure, yeah. Please. Yeah. This is, so this is a project that uh, well, I'll let you describe it, but um, please share share with us. Yeah, this, yeah. This beautiful this is idea that when you find this path that you're supposed to be on, how many interesting adjacencies come out? Like you know, you mentioned Roxanne Gay, who's been a guest on the show. She's a friend of Creative Live. Uh, Debbie Millman, her wife, and uh, also guest on the show. I've been a guest on her podcast. Like, there's just so much. Like, it's all in the family. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd love to hear 
you know, that this theme of when you're doing the thing, there's so many yeah. amazing adjacencies that, you know, weave in and out of your life, which is why I, one of the reasons I want so many people to be doing the thing they're supposed to be doing on this planet, despite what their parents or career counselors or spouse says. But this is, it seems like an interesting, you know, uh, addition to your work. So talk to, talk to me about equity. Yeah, at the table. sure. Um, first I'll just tell you what it is and then I'll, um, maybe share some thoughts about how it very much ties to all this. If I can remember everything that's on my mind right now, cause you just like really sparked a lot. <laughs> so equity at the table, um, is a website equity at the table.com. You can, you know, go to it right now if you'd like. It started in April of 2018. So it's, coming up on its third birthday, I guess, I'm just realizing. And so Equity at the Table is a digital directory. It's a database. Um, I started it that April. I started it with a wonderful advisory board and a web developer. It was very much inspired by another website that I imagine is on your radar. And if it's not, I am happy to put it on your radar called Women Who Draw, which is a directory, a digital directory of um, illustrators. And it's amazing, an amazing resource. And so Equity at the Table is a database for um, women and gender non-conforming and non-binary individuals in the food world. The food world is a huge umbrella term. There are so many industries within the food industry. And it is a place that very much prioritizes and champions anyone who identifies as, um, you know, a Black or Indigenous person of color or um, and or as part of the queer community. And there's also resources for those people, but it's it's an incredibly simple website to navigate. And you can look people up by um, not just their profession, and people can choose whichever professions you know they identify with. You can also look them up by location, and we have members all over the world. I think in every state, um, and you can also look up you know, and you can look up combinations of these things. You can also look up by how people identify. So whether that is by, um, you know, just like their background or race or whatever it might be. And the reason I wanted to start it was because I was looking for a site like it and I couldn't find it. And being the recipe writer I am, I just, you know, and I love lists and, and organizing things. Um, I just thought it would be like a pretty simple thing to build. I am not a tech person. I worked with someone great to do that. It wasn't as simple as I thought, but no matter, I'm super happy it exists. It is free to join and free to use, and it will always be those things that has nothing to do with money. There's no, I'm not trying to sell it or make, anything. Make it work. Yeah. <laughs> and it is really something that is rooted completely in community and not capitalism. And you know, I've been asked a lot, like, well, what's the next step for it? And how are you going to scale it? And I'm like, no, it's, it's a database, like, that's what it is, and what it always will be. So that's sort of one interesting thing. And then I think to kind of tie into what you brought up before, two thoughts come to mind. One is, so everyone submits a picture, and it can be a picture of them or something they feel represents them. I know not everyone wants to put, you know, their face on the internet. Um, and within all of those images, and when you go to the site, you know, you can just scroll and scroll and the site randomizes. So, you know, it's not, you're not seeing the same people each time you open it. And there is a tremendous amount of power in just the visual representation of seeing this many faces and names who belong to categories that have been so othered for so long within the food industry, within all industries. And I think it really speaks to the power of just the mindset of 
going from like scarcity mindset to abundance. Um, you know, something I've heard over and over in my 15 years of working on cookbooks is like, well, I just don't know any, I don't know, black person who works in pastry or something, or like, where am I supposed to find someone who's indigenous, who knows about, you know, certain food ways or, and on and on someone living with a disability. And there's that. So this makes it very undeniable. Like, no, there's so many of us, (laughs) like multiple, multiple options. So there's that. And I think also, I think scarcity mentality, which, you know, is so interwoven with capitalism, and I think is so against all the stuff that is so wonderful about creativity. I think it really puts us in a position where we are just constantly comparing ourselves to each other, constantly feeling like, well, if this person's doing this, then there's not room for me to do it. And, you know, the kind of guiding um, principle of equity at the table, that like aphorism that's, you know, on the website that like, inspired the whole thing is that it's just better to build longer tables instead of higher fences. And I think that equity at the table really shows just what abundance looks like. And the other thought that comes to mind is, you know, when I started it, the way I was, the way I thought success for the website would be measured would be in how many people were hired from it or featured, um, you know, how many jobs or, you know, connections it would create between basically like gatekeepers and members of the website. So magazine editors or conference organizers, you know, people have podcasts and shows and stuff like who are they booking? And what I've come to understand, and it's been such a powerful lesson for me is that the other, you know, that's super important. It's definitely a measurement of success. I love hearing, you know, oh, I, you know, got this job through someone reaching out to me this way. But the other unit of measurement, the other barometer that I have come to just so embrace is how much connection members have had with each other and the community that has come out of of this database. And that to me is just such an important unit of measurement, just using community as currency more than anything else. And, you know, for people to know that they're not alone in doing what they do, you know, again, coming back to like, as I was talking about with diet culture and all that stuff, like, it's just, I just think not feeling alone is really important. And I think a lot of the creative work that we all have the potential to make can really foster connection in that way that just leaves us feeling less isolated, which I just think is really crucial. Absolutely. And and thank you for saying all of that. And also for making the thing. I think that's another theme from the show is we all have an anticipation of some of the value or some of the benefit that our work can be in the world, but you never actually know. And just the idea, you thought that the measure of success was going to be, you know, getting jobs and, you know, hiring and, and, but what you really realize is it's the community and, or even, you know, pulled back a little bit, just, it's so hard to be what you can't see. And if you can provide a picture of, no, no, you're not alone. Look how many other people are in this. We're, we're in this together. That's so valuable and just a consistent and effective reminder that whether the work that you do it affects two people or 10 or 10 million is it, you, you don't know until you do the work. Yeah, it's a totally. reason to do it in and of itself. Yeah. So. And I think something else you're pointing to that just feels really important to me personally is, you know, 
the value you just might not even know you're adding. And, you know, when I put out my first solo cookbook, which was called Small Victories, you know, I had worked on a bunch of other books with all sorts of different people, but I had never put out my own book and promoted it. And I thought my measurement of success was like, how many people can I help make dinner tonight? (laughs) You know, like that felt really important to me. Like how many books can I sell? Like those were the things that were kind of drilled into me like this was how you measure your worth. Like what's your Amazon ranking and all this stuff that I frankly just no longer care so much about. And what happened to me when I put out that book that I just didn't know would happen was, as I mentioned, I talk about my wife so much because I talk about what I cook at home and I, it's my home is me and my wife and our two dogs. So like they come up a lot. And um, I, I cannot tell you, I'm not saying this in like a braggy way. I'm saying this in a way that I just, I, I'm just so moved by this. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with like, especially young queer women, but all sorts of members of the queer community, when they tell me what it means to see, you know, me as a woman use the word wife over and over and something as just ordinary as a cookbook, you know, And it has just led to so much connection. And, you know, that I think is part of what made me feel so safe and encouraged to include more of myself in in this new book and Simply Julia than I have in the past, because I've been met with that kind of response. And it is truly so powerful. And I, I didn't plan it. And I think if I had planned it or gone looking for it, like, I don't know if I would have found it. Like, I think sometimes you have to make the work that's true to you to find out you know, what comes on the boomerang, like back to you. Yeah. So often we want to see the whole staircase, right? But you can only yeah. see a couple of stairs and it's in doing that work and, and taking those steps that totally. the boomerang can come back to you. Um, well, again, thank you so much for sharing those insights. I feel like that's a, that is embedded in the work and you can just feel it when you feel like, why are you attracted to a particular film or story or podcast or, and in this case, your books, it's like, that is, is so, it's like, so, um, present. Um, so thank you for doing that. And well, let's just, what's, let's, let's throw a, uh, equity at the table.com is yeah, where yeah. to go, right? For, for, yep. for that, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, yeah. have access to that database. Um, and you also mentioned your Instagram handle. Uh, I would like to get that in here too. So, sure, yeah. Um, it is just my last name, at Tertian. T-E-R-S-H-E-N. For those who you got it. Are out there. And it's, it's, it's awesome and beautiful. And it's fun to hear, you know, again, you put so much into it. Um, but I, I also, I want to dive into food for a second. Yeah, yeah, part, of it, part of the benefit of the show is that we, we get to talk about so many things. And for example, your creativity, your process, your history, all that is just, it's part of what makes us hopefully a rich conversation for folks listening and watching. And yet as a food, and there's recipes. As, as a person, <laughs> someone who, you know, thought these, I, the idea of healthy, I, I, I like to consider myself a relatively healthy, mindful person and loving comfort food for the the emotions and the connections and the, you know, again, we're social animals and, you know, doing such a nice job of bringing us together. We'll talk about food for a minute here. Of Um, course. um, Why comfort food? And how did you, did you 
start with the healthy and then decide that this that comfort food was a was an underrepresented uh population in the food universe or how, how did you arrive yeah. at the concept of health yeah. and comfort food? Because fr frankly, I, it's exactly what I was looking for and awesome. <laughs> cooking out of it. And Julie, who's the producer of the show was saying earlier how much she's cooking out of it. How'd you come up with the concept sure. and, uh, and talk us through your creative process about the recipes that are in yeah. the book? Um, so I am about to just talk about my wife a bunch. <laughs> um, great, great. So I, I basically felt, you know, I mentioned I've worked on other books and I felt like, I felt like I had another in me and I felt like that was, that feeling was propelled by just the fact that I've been a daily home cook for a very long time. And I do a lot of volunteering in my community, like through food and I just have a lot of things I make that I feel like other people would like, basically. And when it came time to really hone in on what that is and how to describe it, I was having a really hard time doing that because I love food from so many different parts of the world, from so many different places. Again, stories attached to all of it. And I just didn't know how to, what is the simplest way to describe that? And I was going on and on, coming up with different titles and subtitles, and just I couldn't wrap my head around it. And as you can maybe tell by how I'm describing it, I just like had a hard time coming up with one or two words. <laughs> and so I was saying this to Grace and uh, and she was like, Julia, like enough already. You make healthy comfort food. Like that's what you make. <laughs> like if you specialize in anything, that's what it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> sometimes, quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it takes like having someone who, you know, that moment where you're like, you know, for me, it's my wife, but it could be your friend or your parent or your child, whatever. But like, when you have someone close to you who like in certain moments, it's like, oh, they're seeing me a lot clearer than I am right now. Like it was very much that kind of thing. Um, so once I had this sort of healthy comfort food thing, it just all clicked into place because it helped me, you know, it put a frame around all the stuff that I was having trouble organizing. And the minute I had the framework, it all felt much easier to put into place. So that's kind of where that came from. And then in terms of the recipes themselves and how they're organized, you know, this is, we've talked so much and I so appreciate talking so much about how personal this book is, but it, it's also at the same time, absolutely the most practical book I've ever written. You know, these are the simplest recipes, the easiest, but also the way they're organized is very much a response to basically the most frequently asked questions I've received over the last few years of being someone who puts out a ton of, you know, different cookbooks. You know, I speak to people on social media. I speak to my friends and family. Like I speak to my dad all the time about what he's cooking. He's always like, I don't know what this thing is in the freezer. Like, what do you think I should do with it? Like, that's a very frequent conversation. Um, so the book kind of responds to those questions. So there's things like, you know, there's a whole chapter of vegan one pot meals, yep. because I think a lot of people are, you know, trying to eat more plants and all that stuff, but, you know, don't want to just eat pasta primavera over and over and not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that but you know to have some more things but really easy one pot easy cleanup you know there's a whole chapter of like really delicious but super simple like salad dressings and like easy sauces you can just throw on you know a bowl of greens or like a rotisserie chicken from the store or, you know grill of this or that like super super easy just make it a little bit more special make it more fun um you know, the chapters really are about that. There's a cha chapter of just all chicken recipes. You know, it's like the most Googled yeah. thing. <laughs> like, but I also think like there's something about creating a cookbook where 
the thing that I am trying to create all the time as best I can, whether it's being honest in a conversation like the one we're having, or like putting a lot of thought into how I write the recipes, like I'm just trying to establish as much trust as I can. Like mm-hmm. I want someone to know if they open my book, you can trust like, A, you're in a safe space. Like I'm super honest here. Like I want you to feel comfortable. And B, like if you make my recipe, like it's going to turn out and it will become your recipe. Like my goal is for you to make it so many times that like it becomes your thing. Like you forget even maybe where it came from, like that kind of feeling. So yeah, trust just feels very important to me. Yeah. Um, well, this, the, the hard questions come from the audience, not for me. I'm here to have a conversation. But Susan is asking the tough question. Do you have a favorite anything with the superlative right your favorite song the best movie the it was just like wither under the pressure so try and feel no pressure but maybe talk about yeah how about i give you a couple right okay i mean you know they're all my favorites i can't pick a favorite (laughs) but i but there's some i really love okay the first recipe in the book i'll hold this up so you can see it god this is is so beautiful Okay, this is my friend Yuba's recipe that she gave me for Yuba's green spaghetti. This is such a great recipe because you don't have to chop anything. <laughs> so you <laughs> you cook your box of spaghetti. I use whole wheat spaghetti because I just, I mean, healthy, yes, but also like it tastes really nutty and it stands up to this really robust sauce really well. So for me, flavor is like the most important thing. And the sauce is fresh, raw spinach and kale. You put in a blender with some garlic and a little cream cheese and a little feta cheese. So you get like a little creamy, a little salty. And I just got just, I, my, my stomach literally just growled. If you if, there, if the microphone was like maybe a little bit lower, you would have heard my stomach growl when you said that. I'm so happy to hear that. And you just, it basically looks like you've made like a green smoothie, but I mean, it tastes better than any green smoothie you've had. You pour it over the pasta. That's it. One pot. That's it. Um, this is another favorite. These um, stewed chickpeas with um, peppers and zucchini. This is in the, um, this is in the one pot vegan meal chapter. Um, this recipe was born out of um Grace and I volunteer, I mentioned we do some community stuff. We volunteer at a place um, near us called Angel Food East, which is kind of like a local Meals on Wheels program. And in the summer, local farmers donate like crates and crates of zucchini and peppers. And we're always trying to make a meal like quickly, easily, healthfully, and cheaply. You know, like all of the ingredients in my book are very affordable, very available. Like that feels very important to me in terms of healthy food. Like it shouldn't cost a fortune. It shouldn't be hard to find. Um, so that recipe, you basically throw those things in one pot and then you make this like really delicious sauce with, you can use a vegan mayo or regular if you're not vegan, a little garlic and parsley and you just drizzle that on. It can stay in your refrigerator forever. It's so, it's like surprisingly good for how easy it is, which is like my favorite kind of thing. And maybe, should I show you one dessert? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm going to show, this is hard to choose, but yeah, there's all these super easy desserts. This is this cobbler. So this cobbler is, it's the any frozen fruit and cornmeal cobbler. And it's called that, I mean, just literally, because you can use any type of frozen fruit, which again, easy, like frozen fruit is picked when it's ripe. It's like frozen immediately. So it tastes really good. It's also cleaned and peeled and pitted and chopped, (laughs) you know, like peeling peaches is 
so hard. They're so slippery. (laughs) So this, you mix it like right in the baking dish. You don't even need to like dirty, you know, many bowls. The topping is just like cornmeal and flour, like a tiny bit of sugar just to make it sweet, a little half and half, but you could use buttermilk or whatever you want. And it's just so easy. Like a kid can make it and it's, it's so good. And it's again, surprisingly good for how easy it is. I think that's like, well, that's the level, maybe this is why I'm so attracted to your work. Cause that's the level that I fly at. Like, what <laughs> that's is, great. You know, how yeah. can it be easy and good? And also, you know, we've, we're, we've talked a couple of, there's two separate points I want to make, but they're related here. One, the beauty of the food and, you know, it's, we're in a pandemic, so it's difficult to host and get to share a lot of what I make in my kitchen. Um, you know, maybe it's different for some folks elsewhere, but, uh, and yet when I, I, I can, I still feel the feeling when I'm making something of the, the beauty in it, if I see it. And, you know, when you set that in front of someone else, that is, you know, that's a, a, a part of the experience you, you mentioned, the flavor is the most important thing to you, which is, you know, great. We can stack rank these, these important things, but as a, I'm very visual. So when I set, you know, beautiful steak that I've just done in a French style and the cast iron skillets in front of someone there, you're like, wow, like that is a beautiful thing. And you just slice it up. And so many, like, I mean, obviously you're, you're making cookbooks, so you make food look beautiful for a living basically. But I was just shocked and, and, and like so impressed and motivated and excited, but it also makes me want to mention uh, Melina Hammer, who yeah, thank you, yes, is uh, your a co-conspirator with you. At, and and uh, did she photograph the whole book or just parts of the book or most? So she photographed all the food. Um, there are also a lot of like old family photos mm-hmm. in the book, so obviously those came from you know albums and stuff behind me. And um, another photographer, Winnie, who's awesome, she shot the cover of the book and a couple of portraits. So we did that one day. But yeah, Melina is amazing well yeah. she just just as an fyi she is going to be a guest we at creative live have another oh, cool. another podcast called we are photographers and yeah. to sort of pair with this we've got uh melina um, coming on our we are photographer podcast to talk about to talk about photographing this so um i'm, I'm so happy to hear that because it's quite a story <laughs> it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a you know massive endeavor um so when we're talking, you, you mentioned a couple of the chapters of the book, like all about chicken and the vegan one pot. Um, I have two specific questions that are related to my challenge. One, yeah, one is referenced in the book and the other is not. So I'm going to ask it. The one that ref, we'll start with the one that's referenced in the book where this is a selfish chase, chase question here. Yeah, no you talk problem. about pre, pre-made <laughs> main dishes or uh-huh. like, and to me, that is where I always blow up is if I, like, I, I can't, I end up, you know, I can't forecast what I'm going to want or like mm-hmm. just this, this, um, making it so that I'm not completely time pressured and, and where cooking is not fun mm-hmm. versus like just getting some stuff ready or having it handy. And so talk to, I, I was fascinated by that chapter because it satisfies, I realize that that's where some like frustration or, uh, or anxiety comes in hosting others. Sure. So um, even yeah. if it's just like planning for my wife, Kate and I, yeah. like, or me, um, talk to me about that. Yeah. So that chapter, all like make ahead main dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, that chapter is there because I think sometimes 
making something ahead just makes everything much easier. You know, I'm thinking about something like a big holiday meal in the before times when we have a lot of people over and stuff like, um, to me, like something like Thanksgiving or like my family is Jewish. We have a big Passover Seder, like making these big holiday meals, they stress everyone out so much. And I always just think about what's the best part of Thanksgiving. It's like all the leftovers you eat on Friday. Right. So like, therefore all that food tastes really good when it's warmed up the next day. So like you can make it all ahead. (laughs) Like you don't have to stress out because I don't think that I, I really I know that I'm saying this based on a lifetime of home cooking. So <laughs> it's, you know, I know some of this is easier for me than other people, but I just really believe that there's no element of like a holiday meal that is so difficult to make. The thing that is so difficult is timing it. I think that's where the pressure comes in and the urgency, like the false urgency. And so I just think when you can just do yourself a favor, do yourself the favor. So like if you can make something ahead, do it. And there's a lot of food that I don't think you can just get away with making ahead. I think it tastes even better if you do. So like anything that's like stewed or braised or slowly cooked, like all those things taste better if they've like been in a container in the fridge for a day or two. So if you know you're having people over or if you want to meal plan um, or if you just have like, I don't know, a couple hours on like a Sunday afternoon and you don't feel like answering your emails that you plan to get through, whatever, and you just want to, you know, have like a productive procrastination, like you can make like a braised pork shoulder and you can put it into containers or Ziploc bags and freeze portions of it. And then like on a Tuesday night when you're super busy and you forgot that, you know, you have to eat or something. I mean, I, that's never happened to me, but I've heard <laughs> that, that I've heard, happens. I've heard that <laughs> like you can pull out your little Ziploc bag of the pork, you know, run it under some warm water and, you know, heat it up in a pan and eat it, you know, make some quick tacos or something. Like, I just think there's a lot of joy to be found in the calmness that comes with just making things ahead when you have the time to do it and you're not rushed and forced. So yeah, that's a little bit. I find I not only do I eat the best, but I'm, it's the most joyful experience when I've planned a little bit and I have some of those things that I can just sort of pull out and uh, and get what would be a, like an unreasonably amazing thing on a Tuesday mm-hmm. night when I've only exactly. got like 20 minutes to, yeah. to, uh, to uh, a good meal or something. Totally. That's okay. a great feeling. So again, that's an amazing chapter. And we're seeing from Rosemary De La Rosa just joined here and our live broadcast is asking the title again. Um, I'm here uh, <laughs> with Julia, her new book, Simply Julia. Um, now, so that was point one, my selfish questions here. So yeah, yeah, go crazy. Now, the second, I'm just going to show you a picture on my phone that I snapped right before uh, okay. we started recording, which I don't know if you can see that, but that's... fruit or we, potatoes? We, this is, it's it's basically leftover CSA. So we order from okay. a local farm and, yep, yep. you know, grocery bags full of stuff show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this case, you, you know, you've got squashes and potatoes and onions. And I think there's some... Uh, what are those things with the little seeds inside of them? Um, what are those things called? You crack them open. No, that's an apple. Never mind. But <laughs> yeah, but there's just like there's a mound of food uh-huh. on this little tray that we've got that sits in the corner of our kitchen, uh-huh. and it's like it is everything under the sun. And I can't yeah. like I'm not I'm I'm I don't like to waste things. 
And I'm guessing I'm not alone. In the particular lies the universal. And I'm guessing that there's a lot of people. You go to the grocery store, you buy a bunch of stuff. You realize at the end of the week, all this stuff is about to go bad. And I feel horrible and guilty. And I want to make it and maybe put it in those containers and put it in that, like, help me solve this problem. How should I start to think about the everything under the sun menu that comes after you've, like, what are the leftovers of my, my, my farm delivery? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this because I think this is a situation a lot of people get into, especially people who, you know, are drawn to something like a healthy cookbook and, you know, maybe they want to buy a ton of produce or support their local farm. Like a CSA is an awesome thing to do. It's it's so wonderful. Super quickly for anyone who doesn't know what Chase is talking about, like community supported agriculture. It's like got history in like black farmers. It's like an amazing thing. And many small farms across the country do it. You give the farmer money up front and then throughout the season you get produce, but you don't often get to choose exactly what it is. It's like farmer's choice, which can be stressful because sometimes you get like 10 pounds of onions, (laughs) but it's also, I find it wonderful because I love the creative challenge of like figuring it out. I love that. And basically I will give you advice for maybe the next time you pick up your share, like what I do when I pick up my share and also advice for the picture you showed me and what's on your counter. And so I guess in the a opposite lot of order, potatoes and apples yeah. and garlic for stuff, and squash. Yeah. For the stuff you already have. I mean, that all sounds really like kind of like fall vegetables, like root vegetables, that kind of stuff. Everything you just named, if you, you can just scrub it. You don't have to peel any of it. And cut it into pieces and all of those things tossed with some olive oil and salt and put it on sheet pans and roast it in a 425 oven. Like you can't go wrong. Like all those things will be great and you can mix them together. You can do it separate, whatever you want. And I'm a big fan of doing as opposed to, I actually get quite stressed out with the idea of meal planning because I try to eat very intuitively and I just, I don't know what I'm going to be in the mood for three nights from today, but I like, basically putting a lot of stuff in my kitchen that I know I like and that I can turn into other things. So, you know, when I pick up my CSA share and there's a ton of potatoes, I'll do what I just told you. I'll roast a ton of them. And then, you know, maybe that night Grace and I will have like roast chicken with roast potatoes and I'll make like a little tahini sauce or something really delicious. And then the next morning or two days later, maybe I'll cut up an onion and cook it and add the roasted potatoes that are already cooked. They're already done. And we'll have like delicious homemade hash browns. We'll have those in the morning with some greens and eggs or something. So I'll keep the the big batch thing like simple, (laughs) but I think it's, but keeping the big amount of whatever you're cooking really simple so that you can dress it up later and you can, you know, you're not eating the same thing over and over. You're not making like a huge pot of chili and just having it every night, which there's nothing wrong with. And I'd be happy to do that. But like, I think giving yourself the flexibility to, you know, add a different spice or sauce is really helpful. And then I try to, when I pick up my CSA, so next time, so you don't end up with like the tray of stuff where something is kind of going moldy and, you know, you spent this money and it's all this fresh stuff, but you can't get to it in time. I try to, this doesn't always happen, but I try to build in time when I pick up my share for like an hour or two afterwards. Like I want to, like we got spinach in our CSA share this week. Spinach, like, it takes up this much room in your fridge. And when you cook it, it takes up this much room. <laughs> so I, when I bring it home, I immediately wash it and I cook it and I'll put it in the fridge, even if it's just like steamed or cooked with like a little garlic or something. And I'll put it in a container. And then like 
it takes up less room. We have a small fridge, so that's important to me. But it also means like I've already cleaned it and prepped it. And so then throughout the week, you know, until we get our next share, it's so much easier for me to grab a container of like garlicky spinach and, you know, put it into an omelet or eat it on some rice with like some soy sauce or something. Like I will do that as opposed to like, oh, like I have to wash this stuff and cook it. Like that just feels draining to me. So taking the time up front to like set yourself up for success, like build in a little time to like clean things, chop them, put it like in a Ziploc, you know, just make it easier for yourself. This makes me feel good and not alone that even you oh, you're not say, alone. I don't want to, I don't want to do all that stuff every oh, yeah. time. No, but it's, it, I'll, I will, uh, that makes me feel good. Thank you for sharing that. And I know I, I'm guessing there are people out there who are similar to me and whether it's CSA or just stuff that you don't want to go bad. This idea of roasting vegetables has been huge. So that's Kate and I do that. We chop up and we also don't go too crazy. We chop a bunch of vegetables and 425 of them. It's a huge, sometimes we'll do two completely full baking pans or uh, baking pans. What is it called? Like the sheet pans. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to step in it here, but <laughs> and <not>. toss them <laughs> with olive oil and salt and 425 them. You know, it's like you spatula them up a couple of times throughout their roasting process. And it's, it, they feel like, like Lego bricks. They're like, mm-hmm. we, we eat them with a big piece of meat, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and the next day we'll, 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 you know, they'll be alongside an omelet. And then for dinner the following night, well, gosh, we're going to steam some halibut. And now, and so this idea of creating building blocks is mm-hmm. one of the things that I noticed was in, in your answer right there is just inherent in the answer. Like you're bringing these things along and you just add a thing and they're a little bit different. You put them next to a different yeah. main or in some eggs or, um, so thank you for solving yeah. two of my, no, now everyone knows you're, Chase. You're very welcome. Person. And I, th- no, I'm really glad you asked. Cause to me, what you're talking about is just daily home cooking where, you know, not everything has to be a recipe in a cookbook. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes I just want like, like toast. <laughs> and sometimes like, uh, you know, like I make a lot of like things like, like hummus and stuff like that. I keep in the fridge and like, I'll roast that tray of vegetables. And sometimes I'll just have like a piece of toast with like some hummus and those vegetables on top. That is like so good. It's so satisfying. And if I have the bread on the counter, the hummus, you don't have to make it. And the roasted vegetables in the fridge, like that takes less than five minutes. That's such a good meal. It makes me feel like I'm taking care of myself. It makes me feel good. And like, that's very valuable. And I just feel like when it comes to cooking at home and eating, like we have the chance every single day to take care of ourselves. Like that's, that, that's a wonderful opportunity. Awesome. A couple of speed round questions here coming yeah, from yeah. around the world. Uh, that thing I was trying to name earlier was a pomegranate. Yes. That was the thing I was thinking and didn't have the words for. Um, uh, Lynn saying hello from Esperado, California. Uh, so questions around avocado oil or compressed extra virgin olive oil. Do you have a preference? And if so, why? Sure. I, I'm an olive oil girl. I use it on everything. It's like pretty much the only oil I keep in my house. And I, yeah, I toss things in it to roast. I make salad dressings. I use it in baking a lot. Like, like I love like an olive oil cake or, you know, I fry eggs in it. I just, I'm on team olive oil. And I really love, um, this is not like sponsored, but I really love um, California Olive Ranch. I think they're like, they produce their olive oil in a very like um, 
great way, which not every company does, and like very environmentally like aware. And I think for the quality of the oil and the price, it's like it's a really good product. Uh, questions from the community about uh, gluten-free options, and you mentioned you know flour and how you like it, and and so much. Uh, there's I think we there's a whole you know ten episodes we can talk about gluten and its history and why you know it's different in America than in other countries. Mm-hmm. Cake, cake and eat bread in France, and you just walk by a bread here in the United States, and she gets basically she has a reaction that's a separate question but yeah as you know you talked earlier about you know vegan and one pot and and seems like there's a a radical sort of utility and practicality to all of your work how if someone has some food intolerances can you give Mm -hmm. them just general advice sure yeah yeah definitely so um i within my family just between my wife, my in-laws, my brother, my sister-in-law, like just between that group of people, there's like one type one diabetic, one type two diabetic, one severe allergy to like wheat and soy, one vegan, like, and that's just in that small group. So, you know, accommodating different dietary needs is something that I think about a lot, just like, not just as a cookbook author, but just as like a person. Um, so that's why all the recipes in my book are just like incredibly flexible. And of the 110 recipes in the book, I counted 106 of them are gluten-free or can be made very easily to be gluten-free. Um, Cause I know it is something a lot of people suffer from. <laughs> and I just basically feel like my advice around it is that when it, if, if you can eat anything or, but you're cooking for someone who can't, I just really like making food feel very inclusive and not making like a separate thing for someone. Like I make, I like making something everyone can enjoy, whatever the issues are. So I think just having that kind of spirit of inclusivity is nice. So that's sort of my emotional response to it, but like on a practical level, um, I would say there's, I think cup for cup is a great brand of like all purpose gluten-free flour that works really, really well. And you can use that pretty interchangeably in most recipes. And I think also like, lean towards things that are just inherently gluten-free as opposed to like trying to find all sorts of, you know, substitutes. Yeah. Yeah, Like, you know, like there's a recipe for these really delicious, like really, really delicious, um, like cheesy ranch grits, which are like, you know, it's, it's cornmeal, it's grits and with some grated cheddar cheese and like all the flavors and spices you find in ranch dressing because ranch dressing is delicious. And, you know, corn is not wheat. Like it's inherently gluten-free. It's a delicious thing. So I think just leaning into things that just, you know, are exactly what they are and you're not looking for a substitute. You're just celebrating things that, you know, make your body feel good. So yeah, those are some thoughts. Amazing. <laughs> like Everett, and it, it is virtually universal in the comments that I'm seeing here. Damn, I'm hungry. Okay, I'm off for dinner. The European folks are eating dinner now. Uh, Hawk and damn, this is a great conversation. I'm getting very, very hungry. <laughs> um, so thank you for making us all hungry. Ah, I mean, occupational hazard. <laughs> your stories of food, the essays that you bring about your personal life into your work, um, they truly differentiate you and your work from the other, other cookbooks that I you know, still enjoy and have on, on my shelf, but, um, 
So thank you again for making this a personal experience for us to connect with you, the work. Uh, again, if you are if you are just tuning in now because we're live, you have just missed an amazing conversation. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Julia Simply Julia, which dropped yesterday. Um, and if it's anything like your others and the all of the New York Times accolades and uh, that you have received will be a chart topper. And it seems like, I don't know if the rest of the world is also like me, but I'm cooking a heck of a lot more these days being inside and cooking for smaller, um, you know, for my immediate family and less hosting. And, and so it's a, it's been an amazing area of creativity and exploration. Uh, but before we go, I'm hoping to get a, what do you see in the future of how the pandemic has, has affected the kitchen and convening and, you know, I can see it cutting both ways. And as someone who lives, um, you know, this, you know, a life around food and, and cooking and recipes, and I got to think that you've got a point of view on this and just curious what, what do you see emerging from this time? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm just as ready as everyone else for this time to be over. And so many people have had, you know, gone through so many struggles and challenges. But I also think like we've, I don't know, I can only speak for myself. I've, uh, I've learned a lot of things over this past year that I really hope to carry with me and have been very valuable lessons that I wish weren't at the expense they were. Um, one of those things is just really acknowledging what a hard time this is and that the last thing we need to associate with food is like stress or guilt. And I think those things come up for people with food a lot for various reasons. And I think mm -hmm. simple food is really good and you shouldn't have to deal with any anxiety to make yourself or your loved ones a meal and eating food you love. And that makes you feel good. Like that should never feel guilty. And I hope that we carry that with us. And, you know, I'm not the person to ask about food trends or what's next. I have no idea. <laughs> like yeah. I don't pay attention to it. Yeah. 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 So I think just like really embracing like simple is, is valuable and like, yeah, they're just, when we feel our healthiest, it should have nothing to do with like restriction or guilt. Like it should feel pleasurable and um, joyous and fun. So, yeah. Yeah. And just final word around creativity. So, mm -hmm. so it seems like this is such uh, as, as an advocate for creativity when I like found it in one part of my life and started to like try and um, unleash it in the other areas of my life. I felt like the quality of my life overall went up mm. and that, that comes with mistakes. It comes with failures. That comes with some, totally some ruined pancakes once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, and, talk to me a little bit about how you think and maybe release a little bit of the stigma that that aspiring pretend chefs like myself and others others listening when we when we really mess up like what is this a is this a uh, how should we think about it because clearly yeah. you make a lot of mistakes on your way to the greatness that you've experienced yeah oh yeah i've like you know, like you said, every batch of pancakes, there's always the first pancake. And just knowing that's part of it, like, meanwhile, I'll eat all the pancakes, like, <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I think, 
I appreciate what you just said before about during the pandemic and being at home more and, you know, those of us lucky to just be able to just stay safely at home. Um, You know, we all have been cooking more. And I I heard that you, when you were saying that, that you said you've found it's a place where you can be creative. And I really love that. And I think that the kitchen is a pretty, like, at the end of the day, I don't know, there's a lot of pressure put on cooking, a lot of pressure put on food. But at the end of the day, the kitchen is like a pretty low stakes environment. Like if you, if you burn the pancakes, like, you know, if you have the ingredients, you can make another batch, you can order a pizza, you can, you know, like, it's just dinner. Like I say that all the time, all the time. I'm like, it's just dinner or it's just lunch or breakfast, whatever. Like how lucky are we that like, there will be another meal. Like, and I also just feel like every meal we eat doesn't have to be the best meal we've ever had. Like. Like I, I don't know, this morning I had cornflakes for breakfast. We have them in our house. I was craving them and it like hit the spot. It was so good. Like I didn't want a fancy breakfast. You know, some mornings I wake up and I'm like, I wish I was in a hotel and I could just order room service. Um, But sometimes I just want cornflakes and that's fine. So I think knowing that just if you are a creative person, which I believe we all are, like the kitchen is a place where we can remind ourselves of that. And we also have the safety to like not get it right every time. And that's really valuable. And it's nice to have a place that's so accessible. Like most of us have a kitchen in our lives and that's a place where we can like remember that and remember it's like, okay, not to get it right. Cause I think that's not something we hear a lot or get reminded of. And like, we can't get it right each time. Like that's impossible. So just forget it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, Saul chiming in here. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. There uh, you go. Thanking so, thanking us so much for the conversation, Rosemary. That food should feel pleasurable. Love that. So grateful, Susan. Simple is how she likes to roll as well. Thank you, thank you, Michael. Others. Uh, Lynn wants to give a double shout out for for supporting California olive oil. We get folks coming in from all over <laughs> saying thank you, and I want to extend a personal. thank Uh, take a moment and say, I see your work as extraordinary. I'm grateful uh, to have had you as a guest on the show. And my goal is to spread your work far and wide. The book, congratulations, it's dropped. It's incredible, gorgeous. And uh, yeah, there's a copy of your book in Seattle. (laughs) It's just, mm, (laughs) it's already got some, greasy fingerprints here so the best compliment (laughs) i want to say thank you for from our community and uh thank you for joining us congratulations on the work anywhere you'd steer us or how what's the best way in addition to buying the book and especially i want to speak to to the community here this week like let's support julia for uh for when we can to, to pick up a copy of her book doing so right when it comes out is always helpful for the authors but where else would you steer us on the internet? And we've talked about a couple of your different projects, but anything else that you could direct yeah. if you had to ask of our community? Um, I will just quickly just, I don't know that I have the right words, but just thank you for everything you just said. I just don't want to go without saying that. It really means a lot to me. And I just value the thoughtfulness that you brought to this, you know, your questions and this conversation. And I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. So just thank you. Um, this was really pleasurable. And uh, so that, and um, thank you about asking where to get the work. So yeah, buying the book is fantastic, you know, and I hope it's fantastic for you. I hope you got so much use out of it. I would say one of the best ways to support the work in the way that I would most love to be supported is to buy it from, you know, your local independent bookstore. Like bookstore owners are just 
you know, anchors of communities and it's so important to support them. So please seek them out. Um, and I think a really helpful thing to do for, for me, for this book, but for any author is also just taking the minute to leave like a review on places like Amazon, even if you, whether or not you buy the book there, like that makes a huge difference. And I appreciate that. And yeah, where else to lead people? You can find everything about me and my work at, I have a website, juliatertian.com. It's just my name. And I have a podcast as well. So you can find all that there. You know, like I love conversations like this. So if you want more of those, so it's all there, everything about the book, you know, if you want a signed copy, you can get it there. It's all there. So. And the podcast, keep calm and cook on. Yep. (laughs) I couldn't resist. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great for your time and for being, uh, for showing up for us here. who are trying to learn something about about cooking and food and uh, and the role that it plays in a in a rich life. So appreciate you. I hope you have an amazing day. Congrats on the book and signing off for uh, our community. Until next time, we bid you adieu. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever, means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests, uh, in in search results on each of the platforms, and it means a lot. So, thank you so much. Really, really grateful, and I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Hopefully, soon, maybe next, maybe right after this. Maybe you're gonna listen. Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you. <laughs>